further steps in this process. So uh, with all of that being said, I would invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Right now we are uh, transitioning out of the Gospel of John. We're going to come back to the Gospel of John uh, about in January, that time frame. Uh, so what are you going to experience from a preaching standpoint the next several months? Uh, first of all, at the end of September, we are starting a series on the Bible. So what is the Bible? Uh, what do we do with the Bible? How do we understand the Bible? How do we know that we can trust the Bible? Uh, that kind of stuff. And we're really going to focus heavily on what it means that we are a people of the word throughout the fall. Right? So that's going to be our, our focus throughout the fall. And what that means then is if that's at the end of September, we kind of have two weeks where we are going to focus our attention on some other things and some specific things for our church. So we are going to start a new two-week series called A Church Devoted. The first week we're going to talk about what it means that uh, we are a church that devotes our money to something. And the second week we are going to talk about what it means that we are a church that devotes our attention to something. So uh, with that being said, I want to tell you a story of a young man who did not have much and used the not much that he had entirely for himself. That young man is me, by the way. I am the young man who did not have much and used all that I had for myself. I spent all of my high school and college years working uh, some kind of job, right, which meant that I always had a steady stream of income coming to me. And because my parents mostly paid for all of my needs, here's what that steady stream of income meant. I got to use it in any way that I wanted to use it. So you could probably guess the kinds of things that a teenage boy might use his money that's steadily coming to him. Like the kinds of things you might use it for. I used it for video games. I used it for entertainment. I used it for going to movies. I used it for buying things that I wanted. Now, for what it's worth, I was also a, a young man who was very involved in my church at the time. And every once in a while, I'd feel this, uh, this little twinge of guilt when I'd go into church and I'd see the offering plate passed around. And then I'd remember the fact that I'm actually not putting anything in that offering plate until I get that little twinge of guilt. And then I'd say, okay, well, I should put something in. So I'll put a little bit in, uh, and I did that to alleviate my guilt in order to justify continuing to use my money the way that I want for the things that I want. Uh, and I heard, for what it's worth, I heard all of the sermons on giving. Right? I heard about giving your first fruits. Right? The idea that uh, you determine before your paycheck comes and before you send it out to, to spend it on anything else, you determine the amount of that paycheck that you're going to set aside for the Lord ahead of time. The concept of first fruits, that you don't wait until you've used it up and then give the leftovers to God. Right? And for what it's worth, I think it's a really good concept, a very important concept to apply to the way that you give. I heard that sermon. I heard sermons on the importance of tithing, the importance of setting aside particular percentages. I heard sermons about uh, how your bank account and what you do with your bank account is telling your heart what it will pursue. I heard all of those sermons, but I somehow thought that it didn't apply to me. Right? Like I'd somehow convinced myself that it didn't, apply, it didn't apply to me. If I told you my income during those years, you would look at that and say that I didn't have very much, right? But here's the reality. I had everything I needed and more. 
Right? That was like just the truth of my situation. I had everything that I needed and more. And all that meant was that uh, like money and the money that was coming into me was a tool for my impulses and my entertainment. So here's what I know. Not everybody's story with money is my story with money. In fact, I would wager that we all have very different stories with money in many ways. But here's what I also know. Even though our stories with money may be very different, it is still true that how you think about and use money reveals a whole lot about what you worship, like what your heart is directed towards. Right, so with 1 Timothy 6, I want you to hear these words. These words are from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who is a pastor in his church. Paul's instructing him on what it means to lead a church. And this is what Paul says to Timothy. In verse 17, it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Church, I'd invite you to pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, as we come to your scripture this morning, as we come to the words that you spoke through the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul to give to Timothy, as to uh, the ways that he was to lead and pastor your people, we see in you a recognition of the effect that money can have on us. So Lord, I pray this morning that you would do a work of your spirit to help us see and understand you as a giver of every good gift. To see you as the one to whom all resources in this world belong to in the first place. Lord, and to help us understand the role that we have and the purpose that we have in light of who you are as the one who gives us everything that we have. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So verse 17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of of riches. Our main point moving forward this morning is this. This is the concept that we are going to keep coming back to and keep coming back to. Your money tells a story about your hope. It's funny, we're talking about uh, the story that we're trying to tell with our name this morning, right? Uh, There's uh, stories that we are all telling with the actions that we engage, the kind of things that we involve ourselves in, the way we use our time. And it is true also that we tell a story with our money. Your money tells a story about your hope. My job as a pastor, right, because this is what Timothy is doing. He's instructing Timothy, a pastor, which means as I look at this instruction, I'm to take something for myself and understand that my job as a pastor is to tell you, do not establish your hope in your own financial savvy, like your ability to figure things out and and think wisely about your money, although it's good to be wise with your money. Do not resource your every impulse with the extra that you have. Do not rely on the accumulation, the accumulation of a solid retirement fund for your future. 
Do not secure your future in wealth. Do not secure your like do not put your sense of security in your riches becoming haughty because you have been financially well uh, off and thought of and you have planned well for your future and you worked hard and so because you have done so well you see yourself as higher than somebody else. Don't let your identity be connected to your money. Right? It is a grand temptation in a market-driven society to place your hope in money. And I get it, because your access to goods and services, literally your way to operate in the society that we have, is through exchanging money, through exchanging value with other people in order to receive those goods and services. Like, getting goods and services is dependent upon money. Your house requires money. Your food requires money. Your transportation requires money. So it can be easy, like in in this kind of situation, it can be easy to believe that your identity and sense of security and hope for the future is tied up in your money. And Paul says to Timothy, tell them that it's not. Tell them that their identity and their hope and their sense of security is not tied up in their money. It's my job to tell you that money is simply a useful tool. And how you use that tool can be healthy for you or it can be harmful for your soul. So it says, uh, beware that they become haughty, right? Money can make you more confident than you ought to be. Right, thinking, uh, just for what it's worth, I uh, recently, um, I don't know if you know what it's like to have a furnace or an air conditioner go out in your home, but we had one go out in our home. Like whatever, uh, whatever sense of security that you think you have, there is some uh, $3,000, $5,000, $10,000, $15,000 expense just like waiting on the backside of this for what it's worth, right? This is the reality of just living in the world that we live in, right? Your house requires money. All this stuff requires money. So thinking that you are somehow like able to have some higher status because you have more money or thinking of your accumulation of it, that it somehow proves you're an expert. Paul's giving a warning about this and he's saying, don't let people lift themselves up above others because of their money. And then notice he says, the rich, he says, talk to the rich. And then he clarifies the kind of rich people that he's talking about, the rich people in this present age. Which means that he somehow has an idea about money or uh, about richness that exists outside of this present age. Right? So when, when he says the rich in this present age, he's like people who have a lot for right now that doesn't go anywhere after right now is over. Right? So, so when Paul talks about rich, I want to kind of clarify something. When he uses the word rich, what he's really referring to, because he lives in a society where poverty was a very common thing, right? When he talks about rich people, what he's saying is is people who have what they need and then some, right? Rich people, as Paul defines it, are people who have what they need and then some. And Paul says they're rich in this present age, which means that uh, their money is good for a limited time only, right? And he's also pointing to something else, that there are ways of being rich in other ages, a.k.a. eternity, right? He's pointing to eternity. He says, there are ways of being rich that have nothing to do with your money. So uh, the the Apostle James, he talks about the, uh, the first chapter of his book. 
talks about the exalting of the poor and the humbling of the rich. And I want you to get inside his head for this. Uh, Basically, the idea that he presents is that when we receive the good news, those who have very little are given the security of an inheritance with Jesus that is unfading and everlasting. And so the gospel takes the poor person who has nothing in this present age and lifts them up and gives them a promise that is everlasting. And when the rich receive the good news, the rich discover that their money is for providing nothing of eternal value. The rich discover that you share a gospel status with the poor person. Right? The gospel brings you down a few pegs, so to speak, in God's economy because we are all broken and sinners and God extends to all of us forgiveness in Jesus. And that's where our hope and our security and identity is. The, the, the gospel equalizes the poor and the rich before God. It lifts up the poor and it brings down the rich. So this week, uh, you know, you all uh, heard about the queen, the queen of England and what happened with her. And uh, I have heard stories of her faith. Uh, And so I think that, you know, as I've heard those stories, by God's grace, she's worshiping Jesus, right? As I've heard those stories, if those stories remain true, then by God's grace, she's worshiping Jesus with the same status as those who have struggled to make ends meet throughout their life and those who slept on dirt floors, right? That's the truth. That uh, my daughter... (laughs) Uh, Andrea talked to Autumn about how the queen had died this week. And, uh, and my daughter right now is fascinated with the concept of heaven. So she's talking about heaven all the time and who we're going to see there and what it's going to be like. And, and she said, I didn't know that she had been talking about the queen earlier in the day. And she said, we're going to meet the queen in heaven. And I said, oh, oh, you're right. We, like, we are, right? And apparently they had this conversation earlier. And then I thought, me and the queen, like me and the queen, we're going to be the same. Like we're going to be on the same level. Like, you know, we're all going to be worshiping Jesus together. She maybe has been brought down from her previous status, but we've, and we've been lifted up, right? And, but the same is true, that the poor are lifted up and the rich are brought down in God's economy, right? It's equalized. And so money, at the end of the day, the whole point of this, Money, status, the things that we acquire in this present age, it is meaningless. It's nothing more than a fleeting tool. So don't put your hope there. That's what I'm told to tell you. Uh, And then it says, goes on in verse 17. Don't put it there, don't put your hope there, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Paul's saying, you need to talk to the rich about who holds their lives in his hand. Those who have what they need and then some, you need to tell them about where their hope ought to be. They need to remember who gave them the skills that they have. They need to remember who arranged the circumstances of their lives. They need to remember who made the things that they enjoy. And then note, uh, just... This is given as the answer to the problem of putting your hope in riches, right? So it's not, interestingly enough, it's not like stop putting your hope in your riches and just like 
be miserable the rest of your life, right? That's not what it's saying. It's saying, stop putting your hope in riches. It doesn't reject joy and pleasure, but is a change of perspective. Stop putting your hope in riches because your money does not provide you with the things in life that are to be enjoyed. God does, right? That's what he says. God is the one who provides the things in life that are to be enjoyed. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. So instead of trying to ensure your enjoyment with your riches, enjoy the giver and his gifts. Right? So it, it starts with being at peace with him through following Jesus, right? receiving the reconciliation to God that Jesus offers by his death for our sinfulness. Like There we receive the promise of acceptance with God. And we get to then at that point simply enjoy him, and be secure in him rather than wondering if we've uh, done enough to earn his favor rather than every time we walk in church feeling that little twinge of guilt and wondering do I have to put five more dollars in right like just to make sure that we're okay right so church your invitation to relate to money differently is an invitation to relate to God differently Your invitation to relate to money differently is an invitation to relate to God differently. If you see your life as deeply connected to God, like if you see yourself as a recipient of the constant blessings he pours out, if you see your forgiveness and salvation as a fundamental change of your hope, and if you truly believe that that without Jesus you are broken, but now because he is there you have life, then every part of your life begins to reorient itself to and flow out of that hope. Right, so um, St. Augustine uh, in the fourth century, he presented this picture of human beings about how human beings, uh, if we are left to our own devices, we tend to bend inwards on ourselves. The idea that uh, you have, like, as we uh, pursue the things that we are given in this world, that we slowly get crooked backs and we become self-worshipping people. We bend inwards on ourselves. The more our money serves to establish our sense of meaning and purpose and establishes our security and identity, the more inwardly that tool of money becomes used to bend us inward on ourselves. But God comes and gives us a hope that we did not deserve and gives us something certain that moth and rust cannot destroy and gives us an everlasting promise in Jesus. And when we believe, what happens is that God starts unbending us so that we can discover him and uh, and, uh, then begin to see that our money is not used for us and uh, to love us and bend us inwards on ourselves, but actually our money can be used for the things that he loves and to enjoy him as our provider. So this is what Paul is going to do now. He is going to give and instead, right? So instead of doing that, do this. Instead of being oriented towards that, be oriented towards this. And so he he essentially says, this is what it looks like for the rich to use our money for the things that he loves and to simply enjoy him as our provider. This is what it looks like. Verse 18. It says, they are to do good. The Greek word here is 
Agatha, uh, the Hebrew word here is tov. The reason I tell you those things is because those are very specific kinds of words about good that speak of a moral quality of things, a rightness of things. This is the word that is used in creation. In Genesis 1.25, it says that God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was tov. It was good. It had a moral quality and a rightness about it. Right? It, it says that God created things and there was no corruption in that space. It was as God intended it to be. So the encouragement here is to, instead of putting your hope in riches, to do good, to accomplish the good and the right. Instead of putting your hope in riches, accomplish the good and the right. What does the good and the right look like for us? Well, you could just examine Scripture to discover that, but build deep relationships. Share the gospel with people. Dig deep in prayer. Build wholesome community. Listen compassionately to the hurting. Devote yourselves to spiritual growth. Gain skills useful for doing good for others. Obey God. Participate in neighborliness serve in your church. Like these are the kinds of things that that create the good that God is seeking to restore in the world. So he says, accomplish the good and the right. And then he says, they are to be rich in good works, right? He goes on in verse 18 and he says, they are to be rich in good works. When he says to be rich, he is literally saying they are to be accumulating wealth. Right? That's the idea, that you're putting money away, that you're becoming more and more rich. You're accumulating wealth in what? In good works. He uses a different word for good here. The word that he uses for good here more often carries a comparative thrust with it. Like, it's like judging between the good and the not so good, or the good and the better. Right? When he says uh, becoming rich in good works, accumulating in good works, In this case, it's talking about a better in light of Jesus' own commands for wealth. And this is what he starts to hint at. He hints at it more and more. Jesus gave commands in regards to wealth. This is what he says in Matthew 6, 19 and 20. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. This instruction is related to the coming of the kingdom of God. Right? So when he says to be accumulating wealth in good works, those good works are given comparatively to all of the bad that exists in this world, all of the things about this world that are fading. What he's insisting is he connects this idea to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Is he saying, instead of putting your hope in riches, to accumulate kingdom wealth. Accumulate kingdom wealth. Invest in the proclamation of the gospel. Invest in the life of the church. Invest in outreach to kids. Invest in supporting missionaries. Invest in church planting. So I want to share uh, reality with you, kind of celebrate some things, to to maybe vision cast some things. Our church had three baptisms this year. We had three baptisms after not having baptisms for a period of time. That's very exciting, which means that there were three kids who came up here and stood up here and shared the gospel with their families, right? They proclaimed the gospel. 
right? Crossroads clubs in two different schools where we are loving kids and discipling kids and helping them come to love Jesus. Those kids, those three kids who came up here and shared the gospel, they were the fruit of crossroads in those schools, right? We had five first-time professions of faith in crossroads this year. We have plans in the works to start a middle school ministry in our church, When's the last time that? I mean, that's exciting stuff, right? No less than four people have returned to our church after being disconnected from church for a very long time. When you give, when you serve, when you invite people, when you sacrifice something, you participate in the establishing of things that will last literally forever. They do not fade, right? So, the whole world, as, as the Bible pictures this, the whole world will literally like burn up. And as it burns up, those things stay, right? Like it all disappears and those things last as the world burns around it, right? Like they, that's the picture that we're given. Those are good things to invest in. And then it says for us, finally, they are to be generous and ready to share. Literally, this is like, it's two words added next to each other. They're like providing an emphasis. It's saying to be generously prepared for charity. Right? It's an overemphasis of the extent to which we ought to be ready to share with any who has a need. Right? So, so instead of putting your hope in riches, the final thing that we're encouraged to do is to account for the needs of others. Right? Part of enjoying the things that God has provided is creating margin for yourself to be able to help with crises that come up in the lives of other people. Right? Part of enjoying this life that God has given us is, is being prepared to give when God puts opportunities into your path to support a missionary who has a need or uh, to support a gospel effort that has a need or to give a gift to someone in need who is struggling. And so this is what it says in verse 19. It says thus, by doing this, storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future. That's not the future of this present age. That is the future of the age to come. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Church, your money tells a story about your hope. Right? So a choice to give to ministry. A choice to participate in the life of the church through regularly giving financially. A choice to give to missions efforts. A choice to support church planners. A choice to help those in need. Those can be choices that you make, decisions that you make to enjoy the things that God loves. Right? To actually, as you decide to give, you consciously tell yourself, I am going to sacrifice something in the future that this money might provide for me to participate in kingdom good right now. Because my hope is not in my money. My hope is in God who provides everything for my enjoyment. So what? So what? Number one, I had to repent. I had to repent. And by God's grace, he is changing my heart. Right, God allowed me to see that my hope was being placed elsewhere as I used my money time and again on myself. 
And then when he showed me, and I still didn't repent, he allowed me to experience discipline for keeping my money for myself. And then he showed me how good it was to have my hope in him. And by God's grace, he forced me into this season of repentance, and this is what is happening to my heart now. For what it's worth, I am still inclined to use my money for my impulses. Still inclined to do that. But I am learning to sacrifice things that are fleeting for things that last. Right, so after, after Andrea and I got married, uh, it's been a personal goal of ours. I'm, now, I'm not going to tell you the specific percentages that we give or anything like that. I just want to tell you that as, when we got married, it has been a goal of ours to increase our giving by half a percent to one percent every year so that we could continually make the decision to tell our hearts where to put our hope, that our hope is not in our money. And for all the, like, the hassle that tax season is, each year, in tax season, we get the opportunity to look at where our money went. And while we haven't totally overcome our impulsiveness, we're still works in progress, right? We get to celebrate knowing how we got to resource a church family that year, how we got to resource God's mission around the world that year, how we got to resource new initiatives, new gospel initiatives that year, and we get to say that this is good and that these are things that last, and that can become a great source of joy. Number two, where we are going versus where we could go. So like, let's talk about this church for just a second. If you've been getting the bulletin, you may have noticed there is a distance between the amount of money that's come in and the amount of money that we have budgeted. Now, for what it's worth, the elders, uh, we put forward the budget and we voted on the budget as a body knowing that we were going to dig into savings potentially this year. And we're in a circumstance where we are digging into savings and that's, that's something that we have Accepted, but I, I just want to make us aware of the reality. Like, we could be doing some belt tightening. In fact, we very likely will have to be doing some belt tightening as it comes to next year's budget. That's just a reality that we're dealing with. And at the same time, we have this kind of new name and rebranding process, and there's always a, an expense to rebranding. There's something we have to be aware of there. And I'm, I'm very excited about the story that we can tell with whatever new name the Lord gives to us. And so there's a place where we could, like, if you're interested in making sure that that process happens, you could actually gift specific pieces of that process to the church over and above your general fund giving. I want to present to you that option. If you're interested, take it. If you're not, don't worry about it. But that's something that could be done in order to make this process work more effectively for us. Right? So there's also the reality. Like, I know y'all want to hire more staff at this church, right? We've talked about that a lot. It would be beautiful to be able to have an additional person working in the office with us. It would be beautiful one day to be able to bring Pastor Don on staff, right? Like those are things that would be really, really good, right? But the reality is it will take a significant amount to get our church to a place where we would be able to do that. Am I expecting that the people in this room would be able to come up with that to get us to that place? I don't know. Right? But I'm just saying that is the reality of the situation. That's where we are going and that's where we could go. Are we in danger of things shutting down tomorrow or in a year or in two or three years? No, we're not in danger of any of that. 
right? We can uh, uh, handle, we have to be aware of where we need to cut and how we need to handle our finances for the future. And, you know, we're okay, but it would be beautiful if God would allow us to be able to do more than what we're currently able to do. So finally, number three, an invitation to evaluate. First, I want to say, where is your hope? Right, because if it's not in Jesus, if your hope is not in Jesus, then I actually, like, I don't want to sit up here and talk to you about how we could really use your money, right? Like, this is, I'm not, at the end of the day, we don't need the money, right? Like, we, we will figure this out, right? Like, we will continue worshiping Jesus. I'm not, so if, you, if your hope is not in Jesus, I'm actually concerned most with addressing that before we address anything else, right? We want you to be welcome here. We want you to hear the gospel here. We want you to believe in Jesus, and we want you to receive from Jesus an invitation to then reorient your priorities. Right? That's, that's the kind of thing that we want to engage. But if your hope is in Jesus, right, I recognize you may be in a position right now where you are giving what you can give. And that's okay. Right? It's okay for you to be in a place right now where you are giving what you can give. If that's your response, that's great. But I'm not going to tell you not to evaluate. Right? We should all be open to the idea of evaluating where we are at with our money. So I simply want to end this morning with a question. Where is your hope? What have you been given? Right? I want to reflect on that. We will reflect on that together at the table. But right now I would like to pray for us. You have given us gifts that surpass what is true and lasting or seems to be true and lasting in this world because you've given us something that is actually true. Like it's so easy as we uh, are just shaped and formed in a society really built around commerce, commercialism, right? The idea that we uh, interact with entities and institutions and exchange our money to get goods and services. And, and all of that has the power to convince us that our security is in our finances. But Lord, we thank you for giving us a security that goes beyond this present age and for helping us to be able to extend that security to others. And so, uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would set our hopes in the proper place. Holy Spirit, that is a work that only you can do. And whatever the results of it might be are results that we leave in your hands. Jesus, put our hope where it belongs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.